All right. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Well, we're going to get back to the book of Mark. It's been a little while. It's actually been about two months since we were last in the book of Mark. We started the series back in April of 2021, and uh, we're not even close to finishing, but that's okay. Um, it's going to take us a, a while to get through this book, but that's all right. We're going to take our time and, and uh, learn about the life of Christ. And so uh, Mark chapter number 8 is where we're going to be this morning. There are 16 books, 16 chapters in the book of Mark, so 16 chapters, and we're coming to the end of chapter 8, so that means we're almost halfway done. So good job. We're, we're making our way through it. Uh, Mark chapter 8, we're going to read uh, four verses together, um, verses 27 through verse number 30. And uh, if I could ask you to stand one more time, we'll be doing a lot of standing sitting here, but um, we're going to be looking here at Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through verse number 30. And the Word of God says this, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say, Elias, and others, one of the prophets. But he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth, and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. Verse 30 says, And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And let's pray together one more time. Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Um, and I pray, Lord, today as we look at this passage that you would help us to have understanding and that you would speak to our hearts and that we would uh, not just be good hearers of the word but then good doers of what we hear. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the service thus far. Now we pray that you'd speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. And uh, the title of the message this morning is uh, the words that Peter said, Thou art the Christ. Uh, precious four words that he said there. Uh, Peter was known for putting his foot in his mouth, but on this one, he got it right. Uh, he didn't mess up on this one. He nailed it. Um, I was going to ask the question to start with this morning. Do you remember when you were a kid, or maybe you still do, I don't know, uh, playing on the playground, and uh, remember the cool playgrounds had one of those seesaws or teeter-totters? How many called it a seesaw? How many called it teeter-totter? Okay. Uh, I think they both are accurate terminologies, just whichever one is more fun to say, right? Uh, but uh, I have something similar to a teeter-totter here today to explain the significance of Mark chapter number 8, verses 27 through verse number 30 in the book of Mark, in the life of Jesus and his ministry, and also in the lives of the disciples. Um, this particular passage marked a specific and significant turning point in all of the things I just mentioned. Now, the key verse of the book of Mark is in chapter number 10, verse 45, which says this, For even 
the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And actually, Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 really gives us a very simplified outline of the book of Mark. Because the first portion of the gospel of Mark was Jesus ministering, Jesus serving. And so for the first part of the gospel of Mark, we have here uh, Jesus and his service. And for the beginning part of the gospel of Mark, oh, I know what I need to do. Sorry. There we go. For the first part of uh, the gospel of Mark, it all has to do with Jesus and his service, his ministry, the things that he does, his deeds, his works, his miracles. And that all leads to Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. And this acts as the fulcrum that after this portion, we begin to see it switch from him being focused on ministering to focusing on the last part of Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which says, and to give his life a ransom for many. So the first part of Mark deals with Jesus and his service, but then the next part of the book deals with Jesus and his sacrifice. So after Mark chapter number 8, verses 27 through 30, then we have a shift. And so this marks the point in which the book changes, the life of Jesus and his ministry changes, and the lives of the disciples really take a turning point here in this particular passage. So this is a significant little a snippet here, and you think, well, it's just four verses just going through the book of Mark. No, no, this, this acts as the fulcrum that switches him from a life of service to now a life of sacrifice. And uh, we, if you do read ahead here, we're not going to study these this week. We'll study them next week. In verse 31, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So the emphasis goes from his service to now his sacrifice. Well, after Jesus performs miracle after miracle, most recently, just to bring us back up to speed, I'm not going to go through uh, Mark 1 through 8 here to do that type of review, but in Mark chapter number 8, uh, we, we do learn that um, there, there was... Um, he, he did feed the 4,000 in, in Mark chapter number 8. And then after that, he also healed in, in verses 22 through verse 26. He healed a blind man in Bethsaida. And after these uh, two miracles, he now takes his disciples uh, north a little bit uh, to Caesarea Philippi, which is about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And there he begins to ask them some questions. And, uh, and that brings us to uh, this, this message here. And so let's, let's look here, first of all, this morning at the challenge. The challenge. In verse 27, uh, Jesus asked the disciples two questions. He said, whom do men say that I am? And then in verse 28, I'm sorry, verse 29, he asked them, but whom say ye that I am? How many of you enjoy taking tests? Would you raise your hand? And there... There are a few people who do like taking tests. Um, and uh, yeah, there are there were a few hands here. 
Uh, it depends on which test it is, right? I remember in Bible college, my favorite, my favorite day was finals day. Not because I was excited about the test, but I knew that I could get those done in about 15 minutes and that I would have the rest of the time to study for my next test. Or if I was done for testing that day, I would go get a donut after my test because we were dismissed after we were done with the test. Uh, most people are not a big fan of tests or quizzes, uh, but here the Lord uh, issues a challenge, a, a test, a quiz of, of sorts. Our son Luke, uh, this past week, after spending a couple days sitting through hours of driver's education, went to go take his learner's permit test on Wednesday, uh, the day that the weather was came in. And uh, he ended up passing that test, and my wife let him drive home on that day. Uh, that's the first time that he ever really drove with us, and uh, that was an interesting day for him to have his big debut on the road, uh, but he did. Um, he took a test and passed it. Well, now the Lord takes his disciples and says, hey, it's time for a test. After all the miracles, after all the things that I've taught you, now I think you're ready for the test. And so in this test, there are only two questions. So you get one wrong, that's a 50%, that's a fail. Um, but, uh, but he only asked them two different questions in this particular test. And uh, in these questions, we see that he was asking about a couple things here. First, he was asking about public opinion. He was asking about public opinion. In verse 27, as he gets his disciples together, without the crowds, without all the... Uh, remember, they just... He, the Lord just fed 4,000 uh, people, and uh, I mean, they had been around crowds left and right, and uh, now it's just an intimate time with him and his disciples, small group, and he says, hey, whom do men say that I am? I want to know what the public opinion out there is regarding who my identity is. Because he had sent them out on many missionary journeys, and uh, they had been out in the villages, and, and uh, people were talking, and so... Uh, he thought, well, I want to know what, what everybody thinks. What was the answer? Well, verse 28, they gave the answer. Um, it says, they answered John the Baptist. Some believe you're John the Baptist. Some say Elias and others, one of the prophets. So public opinion was that Jesus was actually John the Baptist risen from the dead. And remember, we already studied back in chapter number 6 that that's what King Herod exactly thought. Because it was King Herod who issued the decree that uh, John the Baptist's head would be chopped off. And so as Jesus comes on the scene and his reputation starting to spread and, and uh, the things that Jesus are, is, is doing is starting to uh, spread across and go viral, uh, King Herod, his first reaction was, oh boy, I bet this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. Now, John the Baptist was a tremendous man. Uh, no doubt. In fact, Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest man born of a woman. Uh, back in Matthew chapter number 11, I believe. Now, others believe that Jesus was the prophet Elijah returned from heaven. Remember that Elijah was taken to heaven by a whirlwind? Now, we here in Oklahoma know what whirlwinds are all about, don't we? Um, 
and uh, Elijah was one of two individuals in all of him, human history who never experienced death. It was Elijah and Enoch who never died. And uh, they thought that he was going to, uh, that, that he came back and Jesus was uh, Elijah. In fact, turn to Matthew chapter number one very quickly. Everybody can find Matthew chapter one. And then I'm going to ask you to turn back one page to Malachi chapter four. Because uh, I want you to see how the Old Testament actually ends. And this is why people thought that Jesus was Elijah. Uh, Malachi chapter 4, in verse number 4, it says, I'm sorry, verse number 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth. With a curse. So, this is exactly how the Old Testament ends with the promise that Elijah would come back before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So, no wonder they thought, hey, this could be Elijah. And so, many people, that's what they believed. Um, still others, though, back in Mark chapter number eight, still others thought that Jesus was one of the other prophets risen from the grave. Uh, some perhaps thought he was Moses or Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Jonah, or others uh, who had risen from the dead. Now, while there was disagreement um, about the exact identity of Jesus in the, public in the public mind, one thing they agreed upon was that the mighty miracles that Jesus performed could only be from someone living in resurrection power, that this was the work of not just an ordinary man, but someone who had resurrection power. And they would be correct because Jesus had resurrection power. Now, in our day and age, public opinion is about the same. If you were to survey the United States of America, and, and I realize that there's a lot of people who believe in the real identity of Jesus, but, but there are many who do not. And they would believe that Jesus was a good man, perhaps a great teacher, and even a wonderful example, but are hesitant to say that he was God in human flesh and the only way of salvation. You see, in this day of toleration and, and shifting away from absolute truth, few are willing to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus, Jesus said it this, he promised that that would be the case. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. He said, by and large, the majority are not going to believe that I am the way, the truth, and the life. The next verse goes on to say, Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. There's only going to be a small percentage of the population who are going to really understand who Jesus really is. And so Jesus was asking about public opinion, but, but notice here that it doesn't stop with just wondering about public opinion. He has one more question on the test. Okay, and that's found in verse number 29. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And see, he's not just now asking about public opinion. Now he's asking about personal opinion. 
Now the Lord turns his attention to the disciples and asks them what their verdict was about Jesus. You see, while the Lord does care about what the masses think, he is also concerned and perhaps even more concerned about what you think individually, about what your opinion of him is. And each of us all has to answer this question on the test. Whom say ye that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just a great example? Did he even exist? Who is he? In Matthew chapter number 27, verse 22, Pilate asked the question that all of us must answer. He asked the question, what shall I do then with Jesus? You see, we all have to come to that point where we have to consider Jesus Christ and this uh, this person in history, this man who lived in history, and, and we have to decide what we're going to do with him. We need to make the decision to either receive or to reject Jesus for who he is. And praise the Lord, he does give us a choice. There's no forcing or coercing in the process. He does give us a free will, a choice to make regarding the identity of Jesus Christ. Now, before I continue, is anyone else warm in here? Is anyone cold in here? Okay, maybe you switch with somebody who's warm, okay? And it'll be good. Could we kick on the AC just a you? I appreciate it. It's a little warm up here. Of course, a fire's coming down from heaven as I'm preaching, so it's understandable. See, the Lord gives us a choice in John chapter 3 in verse 16, the most beloved verse in all of the word of God. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God gives us a choice. Uh, there's no forcing here. One of the last verses of the Bible Revelation 22, verse 17 says, And the spirit of the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You see, God's given us a choice here. He's not going to force us to make the decision. But we do need to make the decision. So what's it going to be? You have to make your choice. I want to read a poem to you by the great theologian, Dr. Seuss. It's called The Zode and the Road. He said, did I ever tell you about the young Zode who came to two signs at the fork in the road? One said to place one and the other place two. So the Zode had to make up his mind on what to do. Well, the Zode scratched his head and his chin and his pants and he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance if I go to place one. Now that place may be hot. And so how do I know if I'll like it or not? On the other hand, though, I'll be sort of, sort of a fool if I go to place two and find it too cool. In that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So maybe place one is the best, not place two. But then again, what if place one is too high? I may catch a terrible earache and die. So place two may be best. But on the other hand, though, what might happen to me if place two is too low? I may get some very strange pain in my toe. 
So place one may be best. And he started to go. Then he stopped and he said, on the other hand, though, on the other hand, other hand, other hand, though, and for 36 hours and a half, that poor Zod made starts and made stops at the fork in the road, saying, don't take a chance. No, you may not be right. Then he got an idea that was wonderfully bright. Play safe, cried the Zod. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start out for both places at once. And that's how the Zod, who would not take a chance, got no place at all with a split in its pants. <laughs> Here's the deal. There's a lot of people who are at the crossroads of Jesus Christ. Should I believe in him? Or should I reject him? Is he really who he said he was? Did he really do what he said he did? Well, if I believe that, then, well, then I become a Christian. And I don't know if I want to have that identity. If I don't believe him, then, but what if it's true? And on and on they go. And many people do the same thing. They try to go both places at once. And it doesn't work out. Today, you need to make a choice. To answer the question, whom do ye say that I am? So for those who haven't made a choice, actually already made the choice to reject the Lord. Now, you don't have to make a conscious effort because to John chapter number 3 and verse number 18, he says this, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So if you say, well, I've never made the choice to believe on Christ. Well, guess what? You already have made a choice regarding your decision with Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you have not answered the question to the Degree that Peter made, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. And so we see the challenge. But then, number two, I want us to see the conviction. I'll look at verse number 29, again, back in Mark 8. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. He says, I am assured and I absolutely know and am convinced, and I'm going to speak this with, with conviction, that you are indeed the Christ. What does the word Christ mean? Well, Christ is the transliteration of the Greek word Christos, and the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. And both of these words mean anointed one. Jesus in his name, Jesus is his name, and Christ is his title. So Jesus Christ means Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Promised Son of God. And after the, all that Peter saw and heard about Jesus, he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was indeed the Christ and he declared it with conviction, Thou art the Christ. Each and every one of us needs to come to the same conviction in our hearts and lives. Have you? Have you? I'm not asking if you're in church. I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church. 
I'm not asking if you give money to a church. I'm not asking if you talk to other people about church. Have you in your own heart come to the same conviction that Peter had in his heart? Thou art the Christ. Again, Peter said some lame things, and, and we're about to see him say something else next week that is kind of mind-boggling here. But for now, he gets it right. Now, some people, they just need more proof. Give me more proof, and then maybe I'll believe. Then maybe I'll have that conviction. Show me more evidence. And no matter how much you show them, sadly, they're still skeptical. Now, by the way, it's not that God didn't give us evidence. He gave us plenty. The writer of Hebrews said, Now faith is hope for the evidence of things not seen. There are some logical evidence and proofs of the existence of the Lord Jesus, of the resurrection of Jesus, and of creation and, and all the rest. See, there's plenty of evidence that Jesus is the Christ. And there were then when Jesus walked the earth, but now there is one very important evidence that even Peter didn't have that we have. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that the, you cannot find the bones of Jesus Christ here on this planet. They tried to. That would have really helped the cause of the religious government back in that day. They could not come up with the bones of Christ. Why? Because he lives today. And have you come to the point in your life where you had the conviction that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life? Peter did. He aced the test. So as Jesus asked this question, Peter raises his hand and said, Look, I don't know about everybody else here, but I'll tell you what I believe. Thou art the Christ. And uh, guess what? He got an A plus with a gold star on his test. And he went home to mommy and said, look what I got on my test. I got it right. And look, this, this is a pass or fail test. Either you get an A plus or you flunk the test. And the only correct answer is, I believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he died for my sins scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures. That's the only right answer on this test that God's given to all of us as well. And so if that's not your answer, you flunked. Not, 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 not to put you down or anything, but to tell you the truth. There's only one right answer. I think of others in the Bible who got this answer right. And uh, if you want to just turn to... Uh, Acts, we're not going to go, we'll just kind of zoom by these and uh, mention them very quickly. But Acts chapter number 8. When they were presented with this question, they got the answer right. Acts chapter number 8. In verse number 26, the Bible says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he rose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading the book of Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? 
He said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture was, he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, uh, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. And uh, verse 34, he says, who, who is he speaking of? In verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Well, verse 36, as they went on their way, they came into the water, and the eunuch said, hey, here's a bunch of water. Can I get baptized? Verse 37, Philip said, well, whom do you say that Jesus is? He basically asked him the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. He said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. See, the eunuch got it right when he was asked the question. In Acts chapter 10, we won't go through the whole story, but uh, there was a religious man, a good man named Cornelius, a Gentile. And uh, the Lord miraculously saved him through the ministry of Peter, and Peter wasn't super excited about it. Uh, but Peter did end up leading him to the Lord and preaching the gospel to him, and, and they got saved at the end of the chapter. If we go over to Acts chapter number 16, let's look at a couple instances here where they got it right. They got the answer. They passed the test. Acts chapter 16, and uh, let's see here in verse number, verse number 14, it says, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple on the of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So Paul and his ministry team uh, went to Philippi, and there preached the gospel to a group of ladies, and one of them by the name of Lydia there. And, and, and the Bible says... Uh, it says here, she attended unto the things which were spoken to Paul, and then she believed enough to where she got baptized afterwards. She got the answer right. Later in Acts chapter 16, uh, we find Paul and Silas in prison in verse 25, and they were singing and uh, praying and singing praises unto God at midnight uh, when they were in prison. That's not usually what people would do at midnight in prison uh, there in Philippi. Well, there was suddenly a great earthquake, verse 26 says, and, and people were, were, were starting to leave, but, but Paul said, don't, don't, don't leave. And in and, and verse 28, Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here, because he thought, that the, the jailer thought, oh boy, my, my, I failed to do my job, so I'm going to be killed. Because that's what they did to jailers who let everybody leave. And Paul said, don't, don't, don't do anything stupid here. We're all here. We haven't left. Verse 29, he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And, and then he asked them in verse 30, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. The Bible says, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, was baptized, he and his straightway. So here this jailer was presented with the gospel, and what did he do? He decided to believe. Sadly, not everybody in the book of Acts got the answer right. Um, back in, uh, I think, Acts chapter number 26, uh, there's one who sadly failed the test. 
See, the Apostle Paul shared his testimony with a man by the name of King Agrippa. And after going through the gospel with the king, the king's response was, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. King Agrippa said to the Apostle Paul, You know, you almost got me. I almost decided to become a Christian, but that was a close one, but I didn't. He failed the test. Have you passed or have you failed the test regarding who Jesus is? Have you believed in Christ? Yeah, I'm not asking if you're here today. I'm not asking if you've been a member here for many decades. That doesn't necessarily mean somebody's saved. And, and by the way, if, if, that, if that's your situation, you don't need to... Who cares about the embarrassment part of it? Eternity is too long. Hell is too hot. and Heaven is too sweet to play around with this. Get it settled today. Come to the same conviction that Peter had and say, Thou art the Christ, and I believe with all my heart, like the Ethiopian eunuch did. And so we see the conviction. But then thirdly here, as we wrap this up, I want to look at the charge. If we flip back to Mark chapter 8, after Peter makes that tremendous statement, Thou art the Christ, in verse number 30, Jesus says this, well, the words are not mentioned here, but Mark records the fact that in verse 30, he charged them that they should tell no man of him. He charged them to do that. Now, why would he charge them to do that? Why would he charge them to be quiet? Now, I don't know that we can know all of the reasons why he charged them to tell no man. But we do know that if they did, it would only intensify the efforts of his enemies to kill him, and it was not the right time. At this point, Jesus was still about six months or so from the cross, and it was not time. And remember, Jesus said he was going to lay his life down. It wasn't that it was going to be taken from him. He was going to intentionally, deliberately lay his life down, and it was not the time. So he didn't want to intensify those efforts. They were already starting to get... Uh, a little upset at him, um, that had already started to grow. Not to mention his enemies kept asking for signs from heaven. And uh, verse number 11 of Mark chapter 8, it says here, The Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. Uh, it, it was not enough, all the things that he had already done. They, they wanted to see something else. Like, keep the show going. I want to be wowed and amazed. And Jesus wasn't a sideshow in some circus. He was the Son of God, and He didn't have to cater to their whims for entertainment. So He refused to cater to their desires for more excitement. He knew they had made their choice. They had already taken the test and already given the wrong answer. And now they're looking to trip Him up to make Him look horrible in the minds of everybody else. It's like what Abraham said to the rich man in hell. Remember the rich man requested that Abraham would send Lazarus back to earth to tell his five brothers. And Abraham said, look, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if went, one went to them unto them from the dead, they will repent. I mean, that would be amazing if somebody came back from the dead and, and, and told them they would repent. And Abraham said unto him, 
If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. We don't need more signs. We don't need more uh, big, exciting shows and, and things that, that, that go viral that I do. No, we don't need any more of that. It's already been done. The, the service has already happened. Now it's time to go to the sacrifice and to be the sacrifice and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay, so Jesus charged his disciples at this point to remain silent regarding his true identity. But there would come a day when he would tell his disciples to boldly declare the truth of who Jesus is to everyone. Jesus would one day tell these men to preach the gospel to every creature. But he didn't just give that charge to these men. He has also given that charge to all of us as well. You see, each and every one of us as believers has also been charged to go into all the world and to be his witnesses, to teach all nations, to preach repentance and remission of sins in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So Christian friend, you have been given a charge not to be silent, but to speak the truth in love with your family members, with your friends, with your co-workers, with your classmates, your neighbors, and others that God brings into your path. My encouragement for us under this thought here is to be obedient to the charge that he's given to us. It's different than the charge he gave to them here in Mark chapter number 8. That was a charge to be silent. But the charge that he's given to all of us as New Testament believers is to speak the truth in love. Are we doing that? Or have we done it in the past and it's been a while since we've taken some opportunities? I want to encourage us this year to continue to get the gospel out to those around us. God has placed us here and now for a reason. God placed you in your workplace. God placed you in your neighborhood, in your school, here in Moore or the surrounding area for a reason. Let's not waste that reason. It's not just because we have all the conveniences of 19th Street and more. There are a lot of conveniences on 19th Street and a lot of traffic and a lot of chicken restaurants. <laughs> I mean, you probably need two hands to count how many there are on that street. It's amazing. God didn't put us there just to eat chicken. God has placed us here to get the gospel to this area. If we don't do it, who's going to? There's other churches in the area. I get it, but it's, we can't assume that they're going to do it. We've got, we as a church have been given the commission and the charge to go. We better be obedient to that. Now, I realized yesterday we had an opportunity and we didn't do it because of but look, we don't have to wait for an all-church prayer and outreach to do it. We don't have to wait for a Saturday morning outreach to go and witness to somebody and to uh, give out an invitation to our church and, to, and, and, and the gospel to somebody. We don't have to wait for that. We can do that throughout the week. We need to remi be reminded that we have been charged to do it. Are we doing it? 
These disciples were charged to be silent, but God has given us the charge to speak. Are we using the opportunities God gives us to do just that? So this morning, have you passed the test? Two questions on the test. Whom do men say that I am? Well, that's public opinion. But the most important question on the test is the second one. Whom say ye that I am? Have you answered that question correctly? If not, today's the day to change your answer and make sure you know for sure you have a relationship with God. And for those of us who have, said with conviction, thou art the Christ, let's be faithful to obey the charge that God's given us to go and preach the gospel to every creature. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this passage in the book of Mark that acts as a turning point, as a fulcrum from your life of service to now your life of sacrifice. And Lord, what a changing moment that was for the disciples to realize that you are indeed the one, the promised one, the anointed one, the Christ. And Lord, I pray today that this would not be just a changing point for the disciples, but may it be a changing point in somebody else's life here today. I pray that there would be somebody today who would say, I've known some things about Jesus, but I've never believed on him. Like Peter did. Like Lydia did like the Ethiopian eunuch did, like Cornelius did, like the, uh, the jailer there in Philippi. And Lord, today, I want to make that decision. I pray that that would be the case. I pray you'd help them to make that decision. And then, Lord, help those of us who have, in our past, made that decision and passed the test and, and had the conviction like Peter had that I know for sure that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to the charge that you've given us to go and spread the gospel, to not be silent, to not waste the opportunities that you give us to open our mouths and be your witnesses. Help us to be found faithful with those opportunities you give us at work, at school, at home, in our own families, in our neighborhoods. Help us, Lord, to be found faithful as your witnesses. Our heads are bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask Miss